invite you to enter this portal of strange and unimaginable. I simply ask that you suspend your judgment and expand your mind in the vastness of the unknown. Come witness the wonder that is our reality. The truth is out there, and so am I. Wife of a Demon Hunter, extraordinary tales of all things paranormal. Hello, my name is Dorinda Stewart, and I am the Wife of a Demon Hunter. My guest today is an experiencer of the paranormal. She grew up in Ireland, but currently lives in Scotland. She is a member of the Society of Psychical Research and Investigates Paranormal Activity, Sarah Kyle. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me on. Sarah, you, in your bio, you talked about your grandfather, who was a great storyteller. He would talk about ghosts and strange happenings. What stories stood out the most with you and your grandfather? Well, I was the oldest of 30-odd grandchildren, and I remember sitting in a horsehair chaise log in the old-fashioned uh, kitchens that you would see in any image of Ireland, and he would sit quietly and then suddenly just start to talk, and probably the most memorable ones are those about the headless riders. Mm. It was a farm right bang in the middle of the countryside and accessed by at least three routes or lanes and he would talk about the lane maybe we just had a walk in maybe the lane that we were thinking of going to walk in and he would begin to say when i was a child we were living here my parents used to tell me the following stories and the one always about the high hedges and hearing the noise alongside the hedge and realizing it was a horse, but they couldn't see anything. And then his first experience of the headless horse. So he was a real raconteur, so he could tell the most amazing stories. And we as children would sit there frozen with terror and as he is explaining all of that to us. And I think as I grew older, I assumed that in many cases they were stories, till he actually said, no, they weren't. He genuinely believed these stories. Wow. That's, a, that's really, that's really, that's kind of cool. And that's a great memory of your grandfather. Now your, oh, gran yes. your grandfather, did he talk about the Banshee? He mentioned it in passing, but it's something that most families would know about. And it wasn't until I was in my teens that I understood fully what he meant and how it followed families and how it would skip generations. And it was only through things that happened to me in my life, events, circumstances, and that he began to talk a bit more about it. Because I grew up in a really religious household during that, and there was no way that was entertained at all in sure. our house. So the stories of ghosts and paranormal and everything like that were never spoken about uh, at home on the farm. Other people who lived around our farm, etc., they talked about it. 
but not my parents. I find that really interesting because, you know, with me growing up too, my parents never talked about that kind of stuff either. And here we are, you know, we're fascinated by the, you know, the paranormal and all that. So can you tell us about the legend of the Banshee and how it came, um, how you came to experience it? You experienced the Banshee, did you not? I did. Um, There are numerous stories about Banshees and there are people who who specialise, who know lots and lots about it. But for me, I was in my teens and an old farmhouse in the middle of the country, and you can imagine at night, it's really dark. And I remember one night waking up and thinking, I can hear a baby crying which was really strange as my younger brothers were long, long past that stage. They were just entering um, their teens. And it was enough for me to be, I, I got up and I looked out, I couldn't see anything at all. And it just kept going and going. And it was a most eerie, strange sound because the rational part of my mind was saying, there's not a baby lying outside, don't be ridiculous. But at the same time, that's the noise I was hearing. So I remember going to my parents' bedroom and saying, there's something going on. We're going to have to go outside. We're going to have to look. It sounds like a baby. And my father and mother saying to me, it'll be foxes. There will be foxes crying because there were, in fact, foxes in the local area, as there are in most local rural areas. And it was just left like that. That didn't help me. <laughs> no. It was a rational explanation, but it didn't fit or sit well with me. And uh, there, I remember it very well. And then I, a local person that we knew quite well had an unexpected accident with a tractor and he died from oh this. And I can remember when the news came in, my mother saying something to my father. She subsequently denied it, but you don't live with people for a long time and not realise when something uh, is annoying them. And I put it to one side, but then it happened again and again and again. Wow. And it wasn't immediate that somebody died. It wasn't the next morning or that, but within a few days then a death and it was not a family member because for some people whom the banshee follows it's family members never a family member where i was concerned and my you know i kept saying to them and they didn't like it uh, this is happening to me and i'm i'm not coping particularly well with it somebody in their mid-teens doesn't cope really well when you're making that link they poo-pooed it and in fact, because it continued, their answer was to go to the local minister and yeah. talk to him about it, who came to see me and said, do you know what? You just pray and that will sort it all out. And I, I remember in my teens thinking, you just pray? <laughs> you pray okay, I know, right? <laughs> That's the pat um, answer, right? <laughs> just so, pray, just pray it away. <laughs> dealing with sure yeah absolutely because it was the way they lived their lives sure sure and they didn't know i mean they didn't know how to handle it i'm assuming so but they knew they knew what the banshee was Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and subsequently what happened i understood i wasn't told at the time they'd gone to my grandfather and said 
this here? And he was going, well, it follows me, so why wouldn't it follow her? It ah. just skips generation. Um, in fact, he said, maybe it is with some of the children, but nobody's telling me. But he said, it has just skipped a, a generation. generation. Yeah, it's interesting and because I didn't hear I didn't hear that Dorinda from my parents. I heard that from my grandfather. Ah, yes. Well, yeah. I was just going to ask. You know, does the banshee follow certain families? So you kind of kind of said that it does follow certain families and like you said it skips generations what i know of the banshee is that it's a female spirit in um, irish folklore who heralds the death of a family member by shrieking and wailing and, and in your case crying so it's not necessarily a family member it could be people that you know because that actually happened to you right look it's not no family members at all where, where i'm concerned mm-hmm. but i have had dreams etc where family members have been identified okay but the banshee not uh, for me. And it, it comes from this business as well, Adrian, and I'm sure lots of people have it and maybe don't feel confident in dealing with it. It's what I would have called a hunch, a feeling in the pit of your stomach when you just know things. Right. You just understand. And, you know, I when I now look back at my childhood, and sometimes you think, am I inflating things in my mind? But I know I'm not. I always just knew things. I knew when people weren't happy or they were sad or they were holding secrets or they were not telling the truth. But for me, Dorinda, I just assumed everybody could do that. Sure, so you didn't sure. lie. Because everybody would know you were lying. Mm-hmm. And I was much, much older before I realized that maybe... What I thought was normal wasn't maybe quite so normal. Right, right, right. It, it, it's interesting because, you know, as you're, you know, in my childhood, a lot of people's childhood that have the gift, so to speak, um, you know, they're, the parents don't understand it. And like, you know, your parents, like I said, it skipped a generation because I'm sure your grandfather didn't really talk to them about his experiences with that. So, um, and then, you know, the church is a place that people go and, and uh, you know, sometimes they don't always have the answer. Would you consider a banshee a, a demon? Would you consider the demon? I don't know. Um, I, I would be reluctant to use the word gift because it is not a pleasure hearing. Right, it. right. I don't feel that, to me, a gift is something that you receive should be a pleasure. Right. Um, it, it was something that happened and hairs on the back of your neck on your arms and you just knew and you waited and and it was just for me it was accepting that that was something I'd been given and I had to learn how to deal with it and that was the the, the, the important so um but would you consider the banshee a demon do you think it has a demonic um feel about it I don't see- I don't see why it should be a demonic. I right. think it is something that is foretelling. Okay. And because we're so, we're, we're not fully aware, I think we don't have the, the, the wherewithal or the knowledge yet to make that um, statement that it's demonic. For me, it was a sign, a simple sign. And that's how I started to deal with it. So I don't think of it as being demonic. Now, there may be people who, who do, might, yeah. who hate it so much or who wish it was them that could hear this, etc. But no, I just, this is how I deal with it. And sure. That's how- 
sure. Well, you know, people banter that we're demon about on all different things, you know. Um, so it's interesting that you put it as, you know, it's a warning. It's a warning sign. It's kind of like a caution sign hearing the banshee. But, but the thing is, Dorinda, you can't change it. No, no. And, and that's it. So, and I somehow understood that from the beginning. It happened. It was there. Subsequent events took place. And it, that was it. And it was just rationally accepting that. I couldn't alter what was going to happen. Sure, sure. Now, um, I know that you're not the expert in banshees, um, but you've, you've experienced them. But would you say that they're always a woman? Is there any male banshees? Do you think that there's a gender difference? I, I think I would say most people, the vast bulk of people, believe that it is a wailing and crying female. Okay. Um, occasionally I've heard stories that there could be male banshees, but the vast bulk of stories I've heard growing up, understanding, once once this happened to me, when I, I sought out from people information, very rarely did anyone ever mention other than a female. Okay. And it was only in terms of why should it just be a female? It could easily be a male. Right, right. But around where I, I grew up, it was assumed to be female. All right. Do you think a, a, a banshee can be summoned in some way? No, not for me anyway. Okay. Because I went through a wee phase and thought, I wonder if I have any control over this. <laughs> right. You know, you know what you're like in your late teens? You think you yeah. know everything about everything. Right. And I remember thinking that there, if I really, really concentrate hard, nothing happened. Absolutely. For me, Dorinda. Now, I don't know for okay. other people. Okay. And then again, the rational side said, it's on their terms. They're sure. letting me know. Who am I? Or, or what gives me the right to say I can summon them? Because it almost means you're summoning someone's death. Life. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, coming from Ireland, there's other uh, there's other mythical creatures, you know, like leprechauns, fairies, wee folk, oh. elves. <laughs> what are your thoughts on those? Oh, Dorinda, I just love the idea of leprechauns. I just feel that there is some truth in this here, that these myths and legends don't grow up for no reason. Right, right. And I, growing up, it was really strange with a, with a family who didn't believe in ghosts and, and all of that business. To come from a house that was locally known, our farm was locally known as the most haunted house in the area. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, here they are um, saying, but no, people, our neighbours, um, very rarely did we watch TV when we were growing up. Mm -hmm. So the neighbours would come and visit and they would talk about these things. Not that my father cared much about that conversation mm -hmm. and he would just sit and listen. But they would talk about the banshee. They would talk about leprechauns, little people, and the fairies. And they would recite some of the stories about the fairies having uh, upturned the milk churns, you know, made the milk sour, and all of that. And to be fair, my father was very rational. He said, no, there'll be a rational reason for all of all this. All that stuff, yeah. Let's look at it in a, in a wider picture. But these stories were there, and it would just 
be like me saying to you, I've, I've gone to the local shop to look for X, Y, and Z. So other people talked freely about these things, but not my parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just grew up and said, they're there and that's it. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So, you know, um, you grew up in Ireland, but you moved to Scotland. Um, and, you know, there is a, a famous fairy mound in Scotland called Dune Hill. Uh, Reverend Robert Kirk spent time in the fairies until his disappearance. And, you know, the legend is, is that the fairies took him or whatever. So what do you think about all that? I wouldn't poo-poo anything. Having heard stories from home about people having disappeared. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we would react to it differently, you know, than 50, 60 years ago. But nothing... Nothing in this world, Dorinda, now surprises me. <laughs> I know. My, my, I, I, the older I'm getting and, and the different things that the careers that I've had, I just think we're so narrow-minded. We're sure. so focused. We are like a tree trunk. We have no branches to understand that there is more to this than what we just see and experience. But... Some people say it's fanciful. Now, there are loads of experts, uh, Dorinda, around, uh, you know, on the west coast of Scotland about uh, fairy mounds and the dune story and all of that there. I don't, I no longer rule things out because of the experiences that I've had and what I've seen. Sure, sure. I think I would be very, very foolish woman (laughs) to say, these things were impossible. Oh, sure. Sure. So, so is, 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 uh, okay to say that you have not seen a fairy is what you're saying. You've never seen a fairy. I don't believe I have. Uh, there have been times in my life when I'm thinking, did I actually see that? Mm-hmm. And it would be what I would call little people. Sure. Sure. You know, in the Native American uh, uh, folklore, the, the little people exist as well. So, I've never seen one, but yeah, they they you know they talk about the little people a lot. Okay, well, let's talk about the spiritual spiritualist church uh, that you belong to and Albert Best. Well, I met my second husband. I've been around to Brenda, and um, my second husband and I discovered that we had this interest uh, in spiritualism and we both uh, started to visit local spiritualist churches and we met a man called Albert Best uh, 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 an Irish man a little postman quite uneducated with the most fascinating history and I can only say uh, of his time one of the best spiritualist mediums Uh, of his day and it was actually my husband Nick who interviewed him um, for a magazine and uh, lo and behold struck up a friendship so Albert would come to our home nice he just liked Irish cooked food he liked so he would just say I would like this or I would like that and could you ask her to make this make that (laughs) so he enjoyed that there but he was, um, a, as I say, a little little Irish man. And the one thing he said to us, you have a choice. I could give you a reading and I'll never have anything to do with you again. 
or you can be my friend uh, and I will do a new visit. So we chose friendship. Yes, yes. And so for the last seven years of his life, and he would come and visit and he would tell us the most fantastic stories and you should ask my husband about them. And over the seven years, eventually we would meet the people involved and they were the truth. Wow. Wow. Absolutely. Working in India, working in South Africa, about families because he was a healer as well and a psychic surgeon. And these families related the stories with tears in their eyes wow. and how grateful they were. As a postman, apparently, in, in the airships here, he was there and they used to leave all the... Um, unaddressed uh, envelopes for him because they were saying well we can't send them to anyone we can't open them so he used to put them to his forehead oh boy and say, oh this is from so and so so and so and they would return the letters oh wow and it would be true so much so so much so that people used to come and see him do this wow wow so when he was talking to us about it he said i can just do these things but Again, you know, there, there are stories that he came from, uh, gypsy stock, etc. And I think people want to try and find out or rationalize why others have gifts that maybe they themselves would like. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, it's definitely because it's a gypsy background. It's nothing. He had a gift. Right. And he used it for good. Good. Mm -hmm. Not it for monetary, yeah. But he definitely was one of the most interesting people I've ever met. And one of our meetings, he was sitting in our living room and I was working at the fire and he just turned around and said to me, you really had a lucky escape. Thinking, what from? Wondering <laughs> if this was my first husband. And he said, the name Turkey means something to you. And I'm thinking, what's he talking about? And then I remembered, in my late teens, I met a guy whose nickname was Turkey. Ah, yeah. And it really, when I look back now, a very nice person, but there was something, do you know that way, Linda, you get a feeling? Mm -hmm. And that was it. Blasted a couple of years, guy wanted to marry me and I said no and he wasn't so nice after that there but that finished and he just he out of the blue he just said you had such a lucky escape wow wow so, <laughs> did know me from Adam right you know, right is that something you would talk about because it happened in your teens so oh is that right you know and yeah. he's the very one would say to you don't give me information sure sure yeah. Because then you'll never know if I'm getting it correctly or differently. Right, right. But the stories are fabulous where he's concerned. Wow. Well, that's that's so awesome that you got to meet him. And he was named Spiritualist of the Year in 1994. So, mm -hmm. um, so he, he was recognized for some of that too, thank goodness. Um, well, my husband actually took him to, uh, I think it was down south to the Arthur Finlay College to pick, or London actually London to pick that up. Oh, wow. They drove him there and back. So they had a really tremendous uh, relationship, which was good. Yeah, that's good. 
So you joined the local society um, of the psychical research. What does the society do? Well, I for many years I I uh, resigned a few uh, years ago, and we decided to join both of us because of that spiritualist uh, interest that we had. We realized that a local professor here called Archie Roy, who's since passed on, was running monthly uh, like lectures at one of the local universities. And it was about the paranormal. It was other rational explanations. And it was, it was exploring that whole field. And, um, so Nick joined at first and said, I think you'd really, really like this. So he used to go along to the monthly lectures, as I say, in one of the local universities. And he began to bring speakers in and began to get to know people there. And of course, anybody knew they would uh, say, would you be interested in serving on the, the committee? Would you be interested uh-huh. in coming sure. out? So Nick joined it, followed by um, myself and for a long time i was a treasurer a case coordinator so for me that was the really exciting but the case coordination but sure cases come in and a you know to go back to the lectures they were so informative there were an hour and a half or so on a thursday night and it was kind of the highlight of your month going to this because you would meet maybe 80, 90, 100 other people who just felt the same as you. And you didn't feel silly or inappropriate mm-hmm. discussing things with them. So the result of all of this and subsequent uh, actions is lots and lots of our friends and acquaintances have similar interests to that's, us. <laughs> that's kind of with us too, you know, it's like, um, you know, because of what we do, you know, dealing with demons and stuff, we don't have a lot of people that like to hang out with us. But, you know, our good, true friends, you know, they do understand that whole thing. I think uh, that, that's very true. So we uh, became involved in um, the committee and there were some absolutely fabulous people on this committee. And for them, the important things were uh, about truth and integrity uh, and uh, being as professional as you can be in the circumstances. What would basically happen in the society is that calls would come into the society. For a long time, it was obviously phone calls because we were actually in the local telephone book. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You know, that date that dates us, Sarah, that we both know about a telephone book, right? (laughs) (laughs) Letters would come in and they would sometimes be addressed to the uh, university Mm -hmm. (laughs) for this person. I mean, latterly, you know, it's texts and emails and all of that. But they would come in from people who were upset or concerned very worried because it's a big step if you've got something going on in your life to actually contact someone and say there's something not right there's a vulnerability there well you'll be aware of that if people contact the two of you when when situations are sure sure yes we were trained by older members of this committee how to systematically 
conduct and write a case report if we were called to visit someone's home. And we're very, very clear as a society that visits were free, they were confidential, sure. yes. and that's how it is uh, to today. Um, because no matter what happens during that, it really is a privilege to right. go into someone's home or a building. And we should never abuse that. Right. And the vulnerability of them, too, because, you know, the story that they tell, because, you know, I'm sure they've told other people their story and they didn't believe them. They thought there was well, something going right. on. That's right. And you get this desperation. Sure. Um, that nobody's believed me. What am I going to do? Etc. Right. Now, to be honest, uh, this gentleman in particular, who's a long-standing member of the society, used to say, now, just remember... Just remember that although we were responding to the paranormality that had been reported, he said, you are not or very unlikely going to see paranormality. Mm -hmm. So you're, res you're responding to what's happening to people's lives as opposed to actually experiencing it with people. Sure. And he said, you know, it's really, really, uh, it's really, you should be clear about all of that. But it did happen sometimes that you would move into houses and furniture was uptipped and uh, there were noises and shrieks, etc. Sure. That was and far between, to be honest. Right. I know it doesn't happen all the time because it is a rarity, you know, that, that people think that, it, you know, you go in there in the house, you know, the, you know. The dishes are flying at you and stuff. It doesn't always work that way. So it doesn't always happen. No, because we, you don't want to sensationalize things. Sure. TV, unfortunately. They do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why Joe doesn't have a show because they don't, they want him to kind of lie and he doesn't want to do that. He wants to be very clear that, about that. And, you know, to be honest, when you would go out, because you went out in pairs, male and female, etc you know everything was quite definite but we always looked for rational explanations sure. and to what was happening and we asked people to keep diaries of what when etc of, of what they were experiencing or what they believed they were experiencing sure. and sometimes the logic of keeping a diary and, and writing a description mm -hmm. it was almost like a cleansing for themselves they they thought is this did i hear that was that that correct now most people or families only needed one or two visits mm -hmm. and occasionally mediums were brought in because sure. there was very obviously something there and this really is quite strange you sometimes you would go to homes and people were saying, I just want to know what's going on. I'm sure. like, well, right, it could stay here. I have no problem. Just <laughs> yeah. to leave them alone. And others were terrified and asked whatever it was, could it be removed? And you have to remind people that as a society, we could only advise and suggest. Sure. We were not promising any right. wrong nothing. And it was really hard because pe people were looking at you sobbing sometimes mm -hmm. what's going on and then of course you know whenever the cases would come in and would make contact um we used to have well we used to say to them we've got a list of questions here that are really important for you 
to to consider. So apart from their name and their age and bits right. and pieces like that, right. we always asked, are you on medication? Yes, I know. We do that too. Uh, uh, you know, and also... Um, um, if you have any kind of, you know, like a schizophrenia or bipolar or things like that, you know, and sometimes they're very hesitant to say because they think that we're going to judge, but it's not necessarily. Well, that. Th- we just say these are the standard questions. Yes, yes. Because sometimes you you will know during that you can go to a home or a house or whatever people did and you realize people aren't well. Right. You or they behave in a manner that might suggest that there are mental health issues. Sure, absolutely. So, are you a social worker? I, I yeah, yeah, we're not. We, I don't have a license for psychology and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, do that. But, but Sarah, we actually have run out of time. And it's very oh. fascinating what you have um, talked to us about. So, you know, you probably should come back and we'll talk again. But um, I just want to say thank you for spending time with me. And um, this is Dorinda Stewart, wife of a demon hunter. Until next time.